0: Post reports is brought to you by Purina. Purina's vision is to create a future where every pet has a loving home and a healthy life, and they're making it happen through their nutritious pet foods as well as their Pet Finder platform, which matches pets with families. Learn more at purina.com/cares. From the
1: newsroom of the Washington Post. Hi, this is Ben Terrace coming from the Washington Post. Hi, Jeff. Miss Winfrey. Oprah. Hi there. How are you? Um... It's Lisa Bonas. Calling for This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, July 10th. Today, Hong Kong transforms overnight. Why some workers are getting laid off again. And the reopening of Disney World. Surely,
0: this is not doom and gloom for Hong Kong. I'm sure with the passage of time and efforts and, and, fact, and the facts being laid out, confidence will grow in one country, two systems, and in Hong Kong's future. In the past week, Beijing passed a national security law here in Hong Kong. And overnight, it basically feels like we all woke up to a new reality and we live in a different city right now. And I forewarn those radicals uh, not to attempt to violate uh, this law or crossing the red line because the consequences of breaching this law
2: are very serious.
0: I am Shibani Matani, and I am the Hong Kong bureau chief for The Washington Post. When Hong Kong was handed back to mainland China, I mean, nothing really, really changed and things sort of went along as usual the day after, but but this feels like like the real one that,
1: you know, Hong Kong is very much now mainland China. So this new national security law that just went into effect in Hong Kong, what exactly is it? This new national security law basically
0: outlaws four very broad crimes in Hong Kong, among them terrorism, succession, which is anyone who essentially promotes independence for for Hong Kong, as well as, uh, you know, foreign interference and uh, subversion of the state. So basically, really broadly worded crimes that in effect have silenced or chilled dissent here in Hong Kong. It has essentially outlawed so many of the things that Hong Kong people had for generations. You know, freedom of speech, um, freedom to to dissent against their own government, freedom for politicians to run on on a platform critical of the Hong Kong government and the Chinese Communist Party. All of that has uh, very, very quickly been thrown in question.
1: So just to be clear, like, is it legal now for people in Hong Kong to hold any kind of protest or make any sort of public statements against the Chinese government?
0: Well, I think everyone is trying to figure out where the lines are, right, and where the red lines for Hong Kong are. So, last year, for example, one of the main protest slogans was "liberate Hong Kong, revolution of our times," and so that slogan has been outlawed. It was like a mantra, a sort of spiritual call of of the protests, if, if you will. You know, now in 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 the wake of that, instead of holding flags or banners saying that, people have started holding. Plain white signs up, uh, so just a plain blank piece of white paper. And in the past week, we've seen people being arrested for that,
1: for holding up a white sign, like yeah. a thing that is absent of any message. Which, you know, I guess is part of the point.
0: Exactly. Uh, you know, Hong Kong people are very creative in the way they protest, and they've tried different ways to get around this. And so far, they have still been arrested, um, even for for, for very obscure things like that. You know, in in restaurants and and sort of pro-democracy businesses, you would see people having having created what they would call a, a Lenin wall, essentially a, a wall of tributes and pro-democracy slogans and, and sayings and photos. And a lot of them have taken them down and replaced them just with blank Post-its. So just Post-its with no messages on them to look like one of those walls, but without any message at all. And um, people have still called the police on them. So, you know, the, 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 the lines here are being drawn in a very, very catch-all way. And um, it is a big problem because, you know, the Hong Kong government said a very, very small minority of people would be prosecuted under this law, but it's looking like that is, 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 is not really the case. It's not the reality.
1: What are some of the other ways that we're seeing China start to clamp down on things in Hong Kong?
0: I think they are going to have a multi-pronged approach here. I think there is a chilling factor over schools in particular. Education has been very, very, very important for the Chinese Communist Party to, to control. It was a hallmark, really, of you know the Cultural Revolution and, and, and other sort of major turning points in, in Chinese history. And I think now a lot of teachers... Even students, politically active students that we speak to, are fearing a similar thing is happening within schools and on school campuses, which have long been the nucleus for organising here in Hong Kong. And so, essentially, what the Hong Kong government and, and Beijing are doing are focusing on on teachers, teaching materials, um, subjects in the classroom, and seeing you know what may have led to these students being sort of. "Quote unquote misguided in their in their thinking in their way of being, so there's now a big emphasis on, on national education and creating you know patriots who are going to be loyal to the party." And I think that the expectation, obviously, is that this this will not be done within this generation, which I think has, has already been been sort of written off as a bit of a lost generation, right? I mean, there's no way um, you, you can see these these kids being convinced in any way that whatever's happening to Hong Kong is, is a good thing right now. But I think that they're calculating that if they do this now, they're playing the long game, maybe in the next few generations, they will have a situation a little bit more akin to that in,
1: in mainland China. So so for people that are clearly very pro-democracy in their, in their views on this, how are they responding to this, especially given the fact that it seems pretty dangerous or even untenable right now to demonstrate any sign of protest?
0: People are very scared right now. That's one thing that we've noticed more than anything else. Our sources, the people who we used to speak to, the people who we used to speak on the record— they're all really frightened because they have no idea what this law will mean for them. And penalties are really, really, really harsh in that environment. A lot of people see no choice for them and for their families, but to leave. And so that has been, you know, something that's also been facilitated by Western governments. There are many options available to them, but I think one of the easy ones to help Hong Kong and Hong Kong people is to offer a path to residency for those fleeing Hong Kong. So you've seen on Thursday, the Australian government has sort of announced a path to residency for for students, uh, as well as those on different types of working programs. So Australia today has taken steps to suspend our extradition agreement. Uh, We have formally notified Hong Kong and advised the Chinese authorities
1: and are people seriously considering taking them up on this offer that like they don't see life in Hong Kong as feasible or at least a free life in Hong Kong is feasible for them anymore
0: yeah i mean the reality is a lot of people in hong kong are middle class educated have multiple passports because in 97 during the handover there was already a lot of trepidation and and, and insecurity about what it would mean to essentially be a part of china so for for people who can leave a lot of them are telling us that that they will we find that uh, Hong Kong is not a suitable place for our kids anymore. I think that Hong Kong is not safe anymore.
3: And for me, leaving the place that I love, um, i grew up with, I spend most of my life, most of my life in, is definitely a, a really difficult decision, but I think it is more than a personal choice.
0: But there are going to be a lot of people who, who cannot leave. Uh, there are going to be a lot of people on sort of the, the lower income end of things. You know, there are a lot of people who are too young to leave on their own, right? But yeah, for sure. I mean, we have spoken to so many people who are, who are thinking of, of ways out and who are thinking of contingency plans because they, they don't see a future here.
1: And the fact that this is happening now, How much of that is a result of COVID and that protesters, at least for a while, couldn't be out in the streets safely because of the pandemic?
0: I think COVID essentially wasn't so much of an issue in terms of the protests here in Hong Kong, but covid has distracted most of the Western world, right? I mean, every everyone is battling this horrible, horrible pandemic at home. And I think China has wagered that the international response would be a little bit more muted in this environment. And I think when China saw universities under siege here in Hong Kong, where they saw the Chinese flags with the stars rearranged to look like the Nazi flag I think that was a that was a line for them that, that that couldn't be crossed I think you know from then on from that point they were thinking okay what what can we do here what can we do here and I think this this is their solution. COVID or no COVID you know protests or no protests they, they would have done something pretty big this year you know I, I, I've spoken to a lot of protesters who say like we knew there was going to be a backlash we knew there was going to be repercussions we did not know it would look like this. I guess they didn't quite expect it would be this harsh, this severe, this draconian and this, this authoritarian and this quickly.
1: Shibani Matani is the Hong Kong bureau chief for The Post.
2: The first time was unknown. I never have had to experience anything like this. Randy Heitzman used to be a bartender at a cigar bar outside of Dallas. She was furloughed in March and then she was furloughed again a couple of weeks ago and is really unsure what to do next. I mean, I remember the recession in 08 and how all of that happened. And I know how that affected my parents, so I was super scared, not knowing how it was going to go down. The first time around, she says that it was very easy to figure out where to get the money to stay afloat. The unemployment was nice. She deferred payments on her car. She did her tax returns, so she had you know an extra $1,800 to spend. She used her stimulus money and was able to pay off her bills. But I had no notice to things closing Greg Abbott announced that bars were not allowed to open. We started to see this wave of layoffs about a week and a half ago. And many of these workers were kind of shocked to be in the situation again. And they were tweeting about it. I had about an hour and 15 minutes notice that we were furloughed again. This time around, she has money for rent this month. But after that, she really doesn't know what to do next. I'm Abba Badrai and I'm the national retail reporter here at The Post. So what are we
1: seeing in terms of the experiences of people who have lost their jobs?
2: We're in month four of a pandemic that has killed many Americans, has sickened many others, and has left millions without a job. And, you know, we saw the first wave of these job losses in March, and now we're starting to see a second wave as businesses close up again and lay off workers again.
1: And when you say a second wave, like, to the same people—
2: yeah, this is. Uh, these are people who lost their jobs in March, went back sometime in April or May when their businesses reopened, and now are out of work again.
1: And are there any estimates of how many people have actually had this experience of being laid off twice in just a few months?
2: You know, it's a fast changing number because we're seeing just layoff after layoff every day. It's definitely in the thousands, perhaps in the millions. And we're likely to see this grow as major states like Texas sort of scale back on their reopening plans and order businesses to either shut down again or to sort of put off when they're going to open up.
1: And, you know, this experience of people losing their jobs multiple times and and the uncertainty that comes out of that, in some ways, it feels like the worst case scenario that both public health experts and economists were worried about at the beginning of this pandemic, that if we don't get over the first wave quickly, then you're going to have this kind of murky period of months where not only is the pandemic continuing, but also the economic uncertainty is is continuing as well. And you have people hiring, but then quickly having to fire people again. And that can't be good for the economy.
2: That's exactly it. And that's what I kept hearing from many of these workers is that it felt like emotional whiplash. You know, they were out of work. They were facing sort of the public health crisis that we're all dealing with. Trying to figure out how to make ends meet, and when they got called back to work and in April or May, many of them said they were worried. You know, they weren't sure if they were going to go back immediately. Some of them thought about quitting because they were scared about exposing their family members to the virus, but finally decided that you know they were gonna they were gonna go for it because they really needed this paycheck now they're sort of back to where they started and in many cases they're in worse financial shape than when they than they were at the beginning of the pandemic because they've used up their savings they've already run out of their stimulus money and they're really not sure how they're going to make ends meet
1: you know, we've been hearing some concerns that are that are raised about how the unemployment assistance program has worked and that in some cases, some people are being offered back their jobs, but they choose not to go because they can end up making more money just by being on unemployment for the short term. And I think that on its face, that seems, you know, really unfair that, you know, if you if you do get a job offer, you should automatically just have to go back to work. You shouldn't just be living on unemployment. But I think that these situations demonstrate why it's so risky to come off of unemployment because there's no guarantee that even if you do go back to your job that you're going to have that job for more than a few weeks or months before you get laid off again.
2: So many of these workers are trying to log back into their state's unemployment system, which, you know, the first time around took them weeks, if not months, to get through because the systems are just so overloaded. Now they're having to go back for a second round. Another factor for a lot of service workers in the restaurant industry or bars or casinos where they make a lot of money from tips is that, you know, they're going back to these jobs that making just a fraction, you know, maybe 10 percent, 20 percent of what they did before the pandemic, because even if they're reopening, the customers aren't there Or even if the customers want to come back, they're only allowed to open at like 25 percent capacity at the beginning. So there are many sort of layers of this financial instability.
1: And for people who are finding themselves in the situation of being laid off a second time, how much assistance will there be from the government going forward?
2: That's really up in the air. And, you know, we're not sure what that's going to look like. A lot of them said that the $1,200 they received the first time around really helped them pay their pay their bills, pay their rent. And it's really the only reason they were able to stay afloat. And now they're not sure what they're going to do next. And another factor is that the $600 a week in unemployment assistance that the government has been paying is supposed to expire at the end of July. And we're not sure what's going to happen after that.
1: Abba Baturai is a business reporter for The Post. And now one more thing from reporter Cleve Wooten in Florida, where the greatest place on Earth is about to reopen. The parks are beginning to reopen. And we all know things might look a little bit different when we return. But what will this reimagined Disney experience look like? We're here to talk a little bit more about
3: So you can now officially go to Disney World. Or at least you can starting tomorrow.
1: To maintain the magic, cast members will self-screen for temperature and symptoms of illness before each shift. You'll notice there won't be as many guests to make physical distancing easier with plenty of room to get that castle selfie. And everyone will be rocking a face covering. You can count on us to whistle while we work with even more cleaning and disinfecting where you may ask elevators and escalators handles tables handles and restrooms
2: and we can't forget our hotels
3: disney has gone to basically their phase one of reopening which is sort of extreme social distancing there's a lot of things that you can't do at disney that you would normally be able to do particularly things that involve the most interaction but you you can actually go to disney world and that's happening as literally at the same time as this exponential increase in coronavirus cases. In fact, some of the stage actors who work at Disney have refused to go, saying that Disney's not doing enough to safeguard them and to prevent them from giving coronavirus to each other. We wrote a stat in our story a couple days ago that was like one out of every 100 people in Florida have coronavirus, right? It's like more than 200,000 people. And I just think about how many times I pass 100 people in a day. You know, how many on my walk this morning or, you know, going out to get groceries last night. How many times, you know, you, you just pass that number, that many, that many people. A few months ago... Florida basically opened itself up. It said, we're, "We're handling coronavirus well. We're doing okay. We're doing a good job." This is where America's restart can begin. There was the Republican National Convention that's coming here. You know, NBA is coming to Orlando. Major League Soccer is here. Disney's reopening, and now as all of these places have sort of accepted the invitation, as as America comes to Florida, right? You're seeing this massive, massive explosion in cases. In fact, Florida is one of the hotspots. So there's an increasing wariness. There's an increasing mask use. There's just increasing fear of what will what will happen, but also sort of a, a reluctance to go back into uh, the social distancing or the stay-at-home, shelter-in-place orders that Florida was in for for more than a month.
1: Cleve Wooten is a national reporter for The Post. that's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Our executive producer is Madalika Sika. Our senior producer is Maggie Penman. Our producers are Alexis Diao, Rina Flores, Lena Mohamed, Jordan-Marie Smith, Renny Spernovsky, and Ted Muldoon, who also composed our theme music. The Post Director of Audio is Jess Stahl. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post.